Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 3. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. The Tekoites made repairs, but their nobles did not put their, are you getting that? Shoulders to the work of the Lord. Now this could mean that they physically did not get out there and do the work, they were lazy, or it could mean they were rich and influential, they were nobles, but they didn't financially support the work, or it could mean both. They were rich, influential, lazy, and did not financially support the work. The idea in the Hebrew language is that they wouldn't submit. Very interesting here. Is that they wouldn't submit. They would not bend their necks to the Lord and what he wanted them to do. So the real issue with these guys was that of submission. Maybe they thought that they had a better plan. Maybe they didn't like how Nehemiah was doing it and they had a better way, which is usually the way it goes. Nobody was doing, get this, nobody was doing anything. Nehemiah was with the king, serving with the king as a king's cupbearer, and the city was burned, and the gates were burned, and nobody was doing anything until Nehemiah shows up. He is clearly called by God to go to Jerusalem to do that work. He arrives there, and he says, okay, guys, let's roll up our sleeves, and let's get busy. And now there are men who mumble and complain. And they don't like the way Nehemiah is doing it. They think they could do it better. If they think they can do it better, then why didn't they do it better before Nehemiah showed up? Now, there's a sermon in there somewhere, but we're just going to leave that, all right? Either way, for whatever reason, listen, they lose on so many levels because they're missing out on the blessings of God and serving the Lord. And they're missing out on receiving the blessings for serving the Lord. And they're missing the blessings of seeing the fruit of serving the Lord. Perhaps these nobles didn't have time to get out there and do the work, but they could have financially made it possible for others to go and do the work. Listen, God's going to hold them accountable for that. And the thing that they're seeking to hold on to slips right between your fingers. The Bible says, what would it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Interesting, the word section is used 13 times in this chapter. The wall was divided and people were assigned a certain section. In other words, no one person can construct the wall by themselves. When God calls you, God calls you to work on a certain part in the kingdom. And that's your part to do and nobody else's. Are you listening? And that's the problem. Everybody wants to do what somebody else is supposed to be doing. You know what I've said in the past? Run in your lane. When you don't run in your lane, guess what happens? You have an accident. Nobody can do everything, but everybody can do something. You know what? I'm going to tell you this, and we'll be talking about this probably for the rest of the time that we're in Nehemiah. 
We obviously need a bigger sanctuary. Obviously, yeah, praise the Lord. Thank you, Miss Betty. I'll preach to you. We need a bigger sanctuary. We really do. I mean, you know, we're, I'm not of the kind that some people say, build it and they will come. That's not me. I'm not like that. You know, let's build a 1,500-seat sanctuary and they will come. Let's build a 2,000-seat sanctuary and they will come. For me, it's build it after they come. It's profound, isn't it? It's just it's deep. But it's right. I think, you know, here we are, five services a week. For me, five services a week. Um, I can't, honestly, I don't even know how I do it. I, I generally, like right now, I'm not tired. Um, you know, tomorrow, don't talk to me. But, <laughs> but, but right now, I'm not tired. Uh, it usually takes a day or two to recover, and then, you know, I get back at it, get back at studying, and then I enjoy it. I, I love it. I love the ministry. I love preaching. Uh, anytime that God gives me an opportunity to preach, love it. I'm going to do it. It's great. But, you know, it would be nice if, if I could do less of it here and had a bigger sanctuary where we didn't have to have uh, multiple services and that the rate that the church continues to grow, I mean, when will that stop? I mean, look at this Wednesday night. This is, this is a packed service. Now, if we're this full here, the children's ministry you have to consider as well, where they are probably as packed as they can be on a Wednesday night or need to be on a Wednesday night and as they are prepared for. And so we need to build a bigger sanctuary uh, for the glory of God. And not everybody can do it all, but I'm going to wait while you clap your hands right there. Will you do it? And, and, not, and not everybody can, can, can give, you know, a lot of money, you know, but everybody can do something. You know, not everybody can give, you know, $10,000, but some of you can. Uh, some of you can give $10, and some can give $100, and some can give $10,000, and some can even give $100,000. I was recently told of a brother whose father passed away and left, um, and they lived, the, the father had like four shirts and two pair of pants, and the mother lived, they lived a very mean, menial lifestyle, and, and the mom would say, you know, well, we need to get this, and dad would say we didn't have money. Well, then the father passed away, and, and, and the children went into the house, of course, and go through the files and going through everything. And turns out that, 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 that this guy's net worth was like two and a half million dollars. Two and a half million dollars. And it's like, look, that's a lot of money. Now, 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 don't get me wrong. I don't think just because you have two and a half million dollars, you need to spend two and a half million dollars. But I am saying... Wouldn't that money have been better if you were to send it ahead? Wouldn't that money have been better if you had invested in at least some of it into the kingdom? And, and live a menial life, whatever God is showing you. But let's not be storing up treasures for ourselves here on earth. When we die, all of your assets, are you listening? All of your assets are going to remain right in that drawer for somebody else to come along and to do whatever it is that they feel they want to do with it. We need to give to the work of the Lord and give to the building of the kingdom of God. 
In verses 6 through 12, the work is going along and people are excited. We get to the second gate. I got to speed up. We get to the second gate. You'll notice on the map, the second gate, you want to go to the left. So you want to kind of go to the left. The next gate is called the old gate. It's the old gate. But it's also known as, or put it this way, I really couldn't, couldn't, couldn't get clear on this. So here's what I think. I think that there were two gates there. I think one was called the Old Gate and the other was called Ephraim's Gate. Now here, I want to say on this map, I got to get this close, y'all. On this map, so we have the Sheep Gate, the Fish Gate, and on this map, it says Ephraim's Gate. You see it? I believe Ephraim's Gate is also called the Old Gate or there were two gates located in that same area. Two gates located in that area. Uh, Ephraim means double fruitful or doubly fruitful. The old gate next to Ephraim gate begins a long valley. On a modern day map, it's called the Valley of the Cheesemakers. Now, if you've been to Israel with us, you have been in this valley. We will take a trip in January 2013 and we'll ride through right alongside this valley, the wall of the Valley of the Cheesemakers. It runs right through the center of the old city of Jerusalem, the old gate. And if you notice on the map, you'll see there's like a there's like a little dotted line that goes. I need a point. It's so bad. There's a dotted line that goes down and it goes through. You'll see it right down there. It says I'm colorblind, so I can't help you all there. But it says old city of David. You see that? So that is the Valley of the Cheesemakers. It's a really long valley, the, 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 and it runs right through the center of the old city. The old gate, Ephraim's gate, speaks of the old ways of truth or foundational truth. Notice the progress. We are called like sheep and we are in the sheepfold. We are caught like fish and we are evangelizing and telling others. And when you're saved, the first few weeks is like a honeymoon. Being a Christian is the best thing ever. You're excited in love with God. You love the church. You love worship. You love to get the church on time. Somebody say amen. amen. <laughs> you need some help at Dorton Arena? I'm there. I'm helping. You're a volunteer. Well, then the honeymoon's over and the scales are off your eyes. And now in the Christian life, everything's not all rosy. Now you see the truth. Now you see the Christian life in reality. You start to think, is this salvation thing really real? Is this the way I really want to commit the rest of my life? I'm going to, I'm not going to party anymore. I'm not going to smoke or chew or go with girls who do. So the pressure starts getting to you. Old friends start calling you. Old desires start calling you. And now you're confronted with choice. These two gates in front of you, which one will you decide to go through? The old gate or Ephraim's gate? The gate of double fruitfulness, I would think you'd want to choose. Notice in verse 8 quickly, among those repairing the old gate is this guy, Uziel, the son of some guy who was a goldsmith. You see that? And then next to him was Hanani. I wonder, is this the same Hanani that told Nehemiah that there was a problem in Jerusalem? We don't know, perhaps. But next to him was Hanani, and he was a perfumer. Now, that's interesting to me. You've got a guy who's a goldsmith and a guy who's a perfumer, and both of them are out there building the wall, and both of them don't know anything about what they're doing. And yet God is using both of them. 
Can I tell you something? The most important ability to do the work of God is availability. You know that. Think about it. Take someone who has just a few gifts and a little talent, but they're passionate about the things of God, and they'll do more than somebody who has many gifts, and they could care less. Notice the next gate I got to move forward is the valley gate. And this one's important. Listen up. This is definitely a part of the Christian walk. Are you trekking with me? You are saved. That's the sheep gate. You with me? You're witnessing. That's the fish gate. You're studying God's word and, 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 and you're being doubly blessed in the Ephraim's gate or the old gate. And then there's that valley experience. In the scriptures, there are eight verses between the old gate and the valley gate. There are eight verses. That's a long distance between before you come to the valley gate, but sooner or later, the valley gate must come. The valley gate speaks of humbling and trials. Somebody needs to hear me. The old nature comes up. How does God deal with the old nature? God uses the valley gate. God uses difficulty and trial to deal with the old nature that he might purify you. I'm trying to help you. That he might purify you so that he can use you. But he does that work in the valley. This gate is never easy, but it's needful. And useful by the Lord to grow you up. Somebody once said, nothing really grows on the mountains. So it's in the valley experience that you will experience the most growth. The valley is a part of every Christian experience. It's a part of preparation, development, Christian character, and integrity. But listen, after the trials and the difficulties are dealt with, and that time is over, God needs to have a place to throw some things out of your lives. So then we come to the next gate, is the dung gate. The dung gate. Listen. They did not have indoor plumbing and sanitation. You know that. They carried it out of this gate and they took it down to the Hinnon Valley to be burned. All the rubbish and the rest refuse must go out of Jerusalem through this gate. Now in the diagram, there's a dramatic, note this, turning the corner. Look at the diagram. There is a dramatic turning the corner. We've been moving downward and the experiences have been hard. But now we come to the point where there's a sharp upturn in the road. And now we're moving upward. You see it on the map? We come to the gate of the fountain. The gate of the fountain in verse 15. And the fountain gate, you're saying, Lord, I know you. I'm witnessing for you and serving you. I'm in the word. I'm holding to the truth of the word. Even with all that God has been and uh, that I've gone through in the valley for such a long time, God, I, 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 I made confession of sin and I need to be refreshed and I need to be given more power in my life. Write this down, John chapter seven. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink at the fountain gate. The next gate is found in verse 26 in your Bibles. And what gate is that? Into verse 26, what gate is that? The water gate. This is Richard Nixon's favorite place. Some of y'all too young for that. Water in the scriptures symbolizes what? 
the word of God. Write this down. I want to look at it, but don't have time. Ephesians 5.26, that he might sanctify and cleanse us by the washing of water by the word of God. Write this down. Psalm 119.9, how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed to the word of God. I don't think it's a coincidence that this gate was located next to the fountain gate as the two often go together. Got the water gate and the fountain gate. And then you have in verse 28, are you looking at verse 28? And what gate do you see in verse 28? The horse gate. The horse gate was the gate that the horses were brought in through. Horses speak of warfare as horses were used for battle. So now in the Christian life, we're introduced to the idea of warfare. Someone once rightly said, the Christian life is not a playground, but it's a battleground. If you've been a Christian for more than two weeks, you know that there will be battles in a life as a Christian. But the Bible says we're more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. And then in verse 29, what gate do you see in verse 29? The east gate. The east gate is very important to the Jew. The Bible teaches when Jesus returns, he returns through the east gate. Write this down. Ezekiel 44, verse 1 through 3. It tells us the gate that looked toward the east, and it was shut and shall not be opened, and no one shall enter by it, for the Lord God of Israel has entered by it. Now get this. When the Turks heard about this in 1100 AD, they said, if this is the gate that the Messiah of Israel is coming through when he returns, then we're going to seal it up. And so he can't return and can't re-enter it. They didn't know that they were fulfilling prophecy. Ezekiel 44, which said that the east gate would be sealed up before he comes. If you go there today, if you go with us, if you've been with us, you know. You stand on the Mount of Olives, you look down at the east gate, and it is sealed up. No one can enter in through the east gate. It's bricked up. When Jesus returns, the gate will be open. Zechariah chapter 14. Yes, sir. Praise God. Zechariah chapter 14 tells us in that day, his feet, when he comes back, will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall split in two from east to west, making a large valley Half of the mountain shall move to the north and the other half to the south. The east gate speaks of the return of Jesus. For the Christian, are you listening? It shows our need to live with this hope. As long as we have this hope of his return, the Bible says we're going to receive a crown for holding on to that hope. Second Timothy chapter four, verse eight, prophetically, this gate is very close to the horse gate because the day of God's wrath ends with the coming of the Lord Jesus described in Revelation chapter 19 on a horse. And then you have the mikvah gate, the mikvah gate. Now here you are, the mikvah gate is right about, uh, looking at the clock and 12, it's probably like three after 12. Can you see it? If you can see it, say Amen. The mikvah gate. So you notice we kind of went full circle, didn't we? The mikvah gate. Y'all getting anything out of this? The mikvah gate. And this is the final gate, and it speaks of the place of reward. For the believer, it's the bema seat of Christ. Prophetically, 
This gate speaks of judgment of the nations that takes place when Jesus returns. Mikvah means appointment, account, census, mustering. Some people call it the mustering gate or inspection. It carries the idea of troops showing up for review. God is going to call everyone for judgment one day. Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 3, 2 Corinthians 5, Revelation 20. God's going to call many for judgment. Notice in verse 32 in your Bibles. We travel back. Look at verse 32. And between the upper room at the corner, if you're looking at verse 32, say amen. Amen. And between the upper room at the corner, as far as the sheep gate, the goldsmith and the merchants made repairs. Interesting. We travel right back to the sheep gate. Why? Because I told you to hold on to that thought in the beginning. Everything starts with him and everything ends with Jesus. I'm going to wait while you clap your hands. And I honestly believe, listen, the reason that Nehemiah, before you shut your Bibles and your notebooks, listen, I believe the reason Nehemiah was able to mobilize the people was because he was able to help them see that they weren't just working on the wall. They were worshiping the worthy one. They weren't just working on the wall. You know, when you serve the Lord, you're not serving Pastor Rodney. Say amen. Amen. When you serve the Lord, you're not serving Calvary Chapel. Say amen. Amen. You're serving the Lord. You're serving a Savior who died for you. When you keep that in perspective, then you'll be able to endure until the end. And leaders and servants who don't keep their eyes on Jesus while they're serving never make it to the end. And I hope that you can see the gates and their order in God awesome. The gates and their order tell the story and paint the picture of the Christian life from salvation to final judgment. And I heard some of y'all zip up your Bibles, but unzip it and turn to Romans. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. I didn't tell you I was done, did I? Did I? Did I? Did I? Turn to Romans. Turn to Romans. Romans chapter 15. See that? Don't Don't get too ahead now. Romans 15. I'm just kidding you. Look at Romans 15. All right. I'm leaving you here. Romans 15. And look at verse 4. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus. Everything that was written, everything that we talked about tonight, the message of the gates, all of the Old Testament. That's why people tell you, well, I don't need the Old Testament anymore. I, I'm... 
I don't, I'm a New Testament Christian. I don't need the Old Testament. You need the Old Testament because these things were written for our learning, that we might look at these things and learn from them and look at what Israel did and don't do that. And look at what Israel did. And if it was done right and it was done pleasing to God, then do that. And look at what David did and don't do that. And look at what David did as he was a worshiper of God and do that. As we look at the Old Testament, we learn many, 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 many lessons. I told you that all of the scriptures speak of God. From Genesis to Revelation, everything speaks of God. Everything points to Jesus Christ. And if you're reading something and you don't see Jesus, you're reading something wrong. You're misunderstanding something because all of these things were written for our learning. And so we learn. And so we continue. We study the scriptures, we learn from the Old Testament, and we have application in the New Testament of all the things that we learn in the Old Testament. I hope that you're learning something. I hope that you're growing in the Lord. These are wonderful things, wonderful truths that uh, feel like uh, we unlocked a treasure chest. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.